0: sleepover cinema where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who know and have known for at least 10 years that jack black is the ideal man i'm hannah leach and i'm
1: audrey leach we are the sister filmmaking duo also known as two pink pictures and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: Today, we are talking about potentially the greatest movie of all time. I'm not exaggerating, I'm not kidding. This is not a joke, this is not a drill. (laughs) 2003's School of
0: Rock.
2: He's going to teach them a lesson There will be no gold stars Or demerits That will rock their world It's called Rock Band
0: Is this a school project? It will go on your permanent record Hello
2: Harvard Yo And if you want to be the
0: teacher Jack Black
1: wow. The School of Rock It will test your head
0: And your mind And your brain This episode has been a long time coming this movie makes me cry just because it's so good (laughs) yeah like it is not
1: overtly sad if you have not seen it there's nothing about it that is overtly sad it's just simply that joyous it is
0: the most joyous movie of our lie of our lifetime (laughs) yeah i mean possibly i mean if you know audrey or i uh In real life, or now from the podcast, I feel like you know us decently well. You know that Jack Black is the man we would throw (laughs) it all away for. (laughs) I would risk it all. And (laughs) (laughs) risk it all for Jack Black. And, you know, today, the day we're recording this, it's April 19th, and um, Jack Black is like a real hot topic on Twitter again. And Audrey put it perfectly when she tweeted this morning that we are gatekeeping Jack Black. Yeah. Because we are.
1: Now, there's not a lot of things that I will be that annoying about in life. Yeah. There's almost nothing. Actually, I've never tweeted anything about gatekeeping because I think it's generally annoying. However, this is the one thing, the one thing that I, um, that Hannah and I are entitled to gatekeep. And also, <laughs> I would like to
0: say my only viral tweet ever is about Jack Black. <laughs> I would like to say... Yes to all of that, and my other gatekeeping moment is that I was unironically into Dolly Parton like 10 years before it became like the thing to be into Dolly Parton, and I have the photos to prove it, and yeah. we went to oh. Dollywood in 2011.
1: Yeah, not only did we go to Dollywood in 2011, we were getting into the gig back then, but also Hannah covered my locker in pictures of Dolly Parton oh, yeah. freshman my freshman year of high school. <laughs>
0: Um, I forgot about that. I did do that.
1: Yeah, and 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 you put you've been part partoned. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was fun. That was. That was like, oh, Audrey's finally in the high school. This is like a harmless way I can like terrorize her. And it made an impact, clearly.
1: Yeah, but I wasn't like embarrassed.
0: <laughs> I don't think I was embarrassed. <laughs> like, it wasn't yeah. a mean-spirited prank. Like it was right. just, I just wanted it to be funny. Yeah, and, it,
1: and people were definitely confused. And I was confused and everyone was just like, all right, we're moving on.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. It didn't, it also probably helps that your locker was in the choir wings. No, <laughs> yeah, like
1: my. my. My locker freshman year of high school was in like the gayest area. It was in the neighborhood
0: of SHS. It was in the (laughs) neighborhood. It's more accepting over there. It was. Anyway, we digress. So we're talking about School of Rock today, one of our favorite movies of all time. And you know, a lot of the time on Sleepover, when we talk about a movie that we love a lot, uh, it gets a little boring a little quickly because we just list things that we love forever. But that is not the case in this episode because we just, well, IRL, we just finished talking to them. But we have Rivka Reyes joining us on the pod today for the second half of the episode. Rivka uh, played Katie, the bass player in the movie School of rock and we talked with them for a long time and maybe you've like seen their viral tweets or seen them on tiktok like just popping up all over the place but they're super nice and super friendly and we just uh gushed about jack black with them for kind of a long time so you will get to hear about that
1: and they also and you'll hear it later on too but just plugging it up front they also have a podcast (laughs) they recently started called where are we now podcast and on instagram at where are we now? Pod. And mm-hmm. um, they talk to other fellow former child actors about their lives since whatever they did and just kind of like their journeys. And so there is one with yes. um, Brian Faldudo, who plays um, the stylist, the band stylist in School of Rock. Billy. Yes. The boy who goes Liza Minnelli. Yeah. Like, <laughs> obviously, if you're listening to this, you need to listen to that. But
0: Yeah. Yes. Which, by the way, um, he says in this episode of Where Are We Now with Rivka that he actually didn't know who Liza Minnelli was. Yes. When he had to say that line. <laughs> We're suspending our disbelief. It's it's totally fine. <laughs> um, okay, so shall we get into the facts regarding yes. School of Rock? Okay, so School of Rock was released on October 3rd, 2003, to which I say... This was in theaters, of course. To which I say, imagine seeing this movie for the first time on a nice, crisp fall day in 2003. Could it get better than that? This is a fall movie. Like, if there was a season. It is a fall movie.
1: This is a fall movie. Into winter. It is.
0: Yeah. It's true. This movie was directed by none other than Richard Linklater, uh, a director who Audrey and I both really like. He's known for directing Waking Life, the Before Trilogy, Boyhood, Bernie which is one of my favorite movies of all time also. Absolutely underrated. Yes, absolutely. It's on Netflix. You're now legally required to go watch it. (laughs) Actually, it might not be on Netflix anymore, but it's somewhere. Um, And he is also the executive producer of the weird School of Rock Nickelodeon reboot thing that they did. The movie was produced by Scott Aversano, who's only, like, a truly relevant credit to our audience is that he worked on the 2004 series of unfortunate events with Jim Carrey. So that's just funny to me. Uh, another producer on this movie was Steve Nicolades. He was an executive producer on Nacho Libre, and he had, like, varying levels of production on many American classics, including When Harry Met Sally and The Princess Bride. And last and perhaps least, we have Scott Rudin. Uh, yikes. Yikes. Obviously, his name's
1: been in the news a lot lately. I have a lot of acquaintances who literally have worked for him slash do yeah, work for him. And uh, even in that article, it was pretty wild reading that article. I was like, oh, I know these people. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh. Um, so, yeah, uh, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's so interesting because I remember when I was at NYU, like I knew people that would intern for Scott Rudin yeah. and everyone was always like, it's an absolute hellscape. Like like yeah. they hated it. I mean, and I also remember hearing about Louis C.K. before all the mm-hmm. shit came out because so many people in my program were like comedy.
1: it was an open it was an open secret everybody knew Uh, everybody has always known about both of them and the like extra messed up thing about Scott Rudin too is that like we'd be in a class somebody in the class is interning for Scott Rudin somebody um the professor might ask them about it how it's going blah 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 the professor knowing that it's a messed up experience and then them, you know, it, it taking on, like, a comedic tone, and also that person who's interning for them having that, like, secret kind of weird badge of honor about it. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, we're getting in the weeds, but, yeah, it's it's very topical and... um scary. And I, I'm, I, the fact that he is only backed down, the fact that he was like, I'm backing away from the theater. I was like, cool. Right. Like
0: that is approximately like 30% of your workload. Like mm-hmm. awesome. Scott Rudin was the, it was like, this movie was produced by Paramount and Scott Rudin productions. Like that was how it was made. Anyway, moving on to someone much less problematic. This screenplay yes. was written by Mike White who um, also plays Ned Schneebly. Hello, this is Ned Schneebly in this movie. <laughs> he also wrote Nacho Libre, which I did not realize, which means that we had a meeting of the minds between Mike White, Jack Black, and Jared Hess all at once, which I find to be really enticing. Jared Hess was the director of Napoleon Dynamite, which I'm going sleep over on Napoleon at some point. I feel like we could get someone from that movie so easily. To come oh, on the show.
1: Same. Yeah. Triple feature, school of rock, nacho, Libre, Napoleon
0: Dynamite. Honestly, those three movies were like the not made-for-girls movies of our childhood. That those we three. that we live and die for. Like it's <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and, and like, I'm sorry to sure. say it. I'm sorry to say it, guys. If any of you are out there thinking well, this seems so off-brand for Hannah and Audrey, like. I don't like the humor of Napoleon Dynamite or whatever. I would ask you to watch it again if the last time you watched it, you were a child. And I I just would ask you because the filmmaking, the writing, so many elements at play here that make those movies solid regardless of the humor. So please, I plead with you to review that.
0: I mean, also, like, Nacho Libre and Napoleon Dynamite were, like, absolute cornerstones of, like, the shared sense of humor within our entire family. Like, even our extended family, like, on our mom's side, it was just a huge thing. Like, our Uncle Paul got, like, a bulk, like, a wholesale box of Vote for Pedro t-shirts and, like, distributed them to our family. That was the level we were on. Yeah. So, anyway, maybe (laughs) we'll touch on those two movies I feel like and an, we would need to get an expert for a analysis of Nacho Libre being problematic or not cuz we are not qualified. Yeah. yeah. Um anyway, he wrote Nacho Libre. He also has written he wrote the screenplay for Pitch Perfect 3 and the Emoji movie which is not that exciting to hear. That's when um, you need your check. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he uh, has written like some episodes of TV. He hasn't done a ton, though. Um, I think that it's it's about quality over quantity with Mike White, is what it seems like. Definitely. <sighs> okay, plot synopsis, Audrey.
1: All right. So, after being kicked out of his rock band, Dewey Finn becomes a substitute teacher of an uptight elementary private school only to try and turn his class into a rock band we've got four taglines here and i've never seen these i've never fully processed these somehow so this is this is going to be interesting the first one is mr black accept no substitute (laughs) come on feel the noise (laughs) um i i know i do recall accept no substitute that that one i do recall yes um, the second one is, he just landed the gig of his life, fifth grade. <laughs> I like the, that one. The third one is, we don't need no education. And the fourth one is, we shall teach rock and roll to the world. makes <laughs> me think of him
0: going, and we shall teach, teach rock, rock and, and roll. roll to the world. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this movie just a few times. Yeah. Okay. So, speaking of the imitation, let's just get into the cast here. So, This is in billing order, and then, like, my choice of who to include. But I feel like the billing order was weird for this movie, but whatever. There's a ton of children in it that were, like, undiscovered prior to this, so who knows. We had Jack Black as Dewey Finn. Um, Jack Black has stated that this movie is, like, his favorite thing that he's ever been in, and I can totally see why, because he's essentially playing himself, and he's with kids, and Jack Black interacting with kids is, like, the cutest, best outcome in life. Yep. Uh, He's also known for this string of movies. High Fidelity, Nacho Libre, Bernie, Polka King, which I like, but no one else does. Jumanji, Tenacious D, uh, and all the Tenacious D like associated stuff like music and movies. Kung Fu Panda, The Holiday, King Kong, and Shark Tale, baby. That include (laughs) that. Jack Black is the best person in the world. Yep. And we talked to Rivka about him and they... Agreed. And had yes. a lot of really good anecdotes that you will hear soon. Next up, we have Adam motherfucking Pascal as Theo. <laughs> and Adam Pascal is known for being... Uh, he's in Rent. He's like the... hes yes. Ro- Roger, right? Yeah. Roger in Rent from the original Broadway cast and in the movie. He also was Rod Amaze in Aida. <laughs> um, he's just like a high scrouting king.
1: Hannah, we, got, we have to just say that... Um, Hannah has an Adam Pascal impression, and it stemmed from um, Aida.
0: Yeah, you know, (laughs) as we've mentioned before, we did our problematic high school production of Aida where everyone uh, had a spray tan because we were all white. And um, (laughs) anyway, we have Sarah Silverman as Patty. She's a comic. She has recently had her show called I Love You, America. Uh, she's a voice actor on Bob's Burgers. She was on the show Masters of Sex. And around the time of School of Rock, she had the show called the Sarah Silverman Program. She has had a lot of problematic moments. Yeah. Uh, it kind of could go on forever. So I would just encourage you to go to her Wikipedia and look at the controversy section. because you she care. She <laughs> has said and done a lot of racist things things, or made a lot of racist jokes. Um, But we, you know, that does not spill on to the reputation of School of Rock. We're moving on. Yes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Next, we have Mike White as Ned Schneebly. We already talked about him. And then next, we have Joan Cusack as Miss Mullins, the principal. And I mean, she's a legend. Uh, The things that she's known for the most, though, are In-N-Out, Gross Point Blank, Working Girl, Shameless. Their series of unfortunate events, 2017 reboot. She's Jessie in Toy Story 2, which is so fucking funny. Once you hear it, you can never unhear it. Yeah. Uh, She was randomly in Confessions of a Shopaholic, which just feels very on brand for us. And she's in High Fidelity. She was on SNL. And she's just that bitch, honestly. She's so weird and, like, great. Yeah, I love her. And then we have Miranda Cosgrove as Summer. Uh, She was only 10 in this movie, and she's really known for iCarly, obviously, and the upcoming iCarly reboot, which will probably be kind of uh, interesting. She was on Drake and Josh, and she also was a voice actor in Despicable Me, and she was on the TV show Crowded for like, The time that it ran. And then on top of that, there was a group of very, very talented kids that are all really memorable in their own ways. And I love how this movie, like, none of them are really acting. Like, they kind of just wrote all the parts for the kids. And I think that that's, like, one of the best parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. But... Just to touch on the band at the very least, we had Joey Gatos Jr. as Zach on guitar, Robert Sy as Lawrence on the keys, Kevin Alexander Clark as Freddie on drums, Mariam Hassan as Tamika on vocals, Alicia Allen as Alicia on vocals. <laughs> Is it Alicia or Alicia? He calls her Alicia. I don't know. Caitlin Hale as Marta on vocals. And of course, our guest for the second half of the episode, Rivka Reyes on bass. And there's a lot more kids in this movie, and they're all really awesome in their own ways uh, and really memorable. But I just wanted to keep it to the band just so I didn't have to list people forever.
1: But also Brian Faldudo as Billy.
0: Yeah, and Brian (laughs) Faldudo as Billy.
1: (laughs) And I just want to add, to that, like, that hallmark of casting non-actors is something that Richard Linklater does a lot throughout his career. Yes. And it's definitely, like, a touchstone of his films and I think in every case it always adds a a certain level of realism and like organic reactions and just like really brings it um brings it back to reality (laughs) um that's a Jack Black quote um (laughs) yeah and it's one of if if there's something that I could adapt to like my filmmaking like that other obviously making a documentary it's gonna be real (laughs) because it is real yes but in narrative I think it's just a really smart move
0: yeah I agree I think the repurposing random like random real life people into like stars is really fun it's always
1: heartwarming yeah yes exactly all right so now we're moving on to the money (laughs)
2: Um, That's where Audrey comes in.
1: Yeah, always because I am your econ teacher, guys. I'm your business <laughs> professor. um <laughs> The budget for School of Rock was thirty five million dollars. The box office opening weekend was nineteen million six hundred twenty two thousand seven hundred fourteen, and the overall worldwide gross was one hundred thirty one million ninety five thousand nine hundred ninety. So what I'm getting from that is that. School of Rock is very much a word of mouth movie. It is a grow over time movie. Um, as far as the audience goes, like it's not going to draw a huge audience on its opening weekend because it's not like a superhero movie. It's not like a spy movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. But people would see it and be like, oh my gosh, that's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And then
0: <laughs>
2: slowly yeah.
1: they'll, they'll come.
0: So it made its yeah. money back. I also wonder how, like, I mean, I guess that all that money is just straight, like, straight up from the movie. Um, But I just do wonder about all of the, like, extra income that's come about from this IP just because of the Broadway musical and the Nickelodeon show. Yeah, that, that would all be separate. Yeah, but something to think about.
1: There was a 91% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and the critical consensus is Black's exuberant gleeful performance turns School of Rock into a hilarious rocking good time. <laughs> and then we have two more here. A raucous crowd pleaser with a pumping soundtrack, some awe-inspiringly talented kids, and perfect comic performances. And the third one is, it's genuinely good-hearted and features child actors that look like real kids, all permeation of geeky, fat, skinny, sullen, and silent in that way
0: that only actual kids can be. Which is correct, I would say. These are all accurate. Now the gossip section, the celebrity gossip of October 2003. In this month, Arnold Schwarzenegger was voted into office as the governor of California for the first time. Roy of Sigrid and Roy got mauled by Tiger. (laughs) The cover of People magazine from October 2003, I looked it up, and it turns out that it was one of the, like, Copies of people that I got during my collaging phase. And so I remembered literally every single thing on the cover. And I like, I like gasped when I saw the cover. I was like, holy shit, like I've seen this so many times. So for those who don't know, I had a collage phase. All my grandparents (laughs) would give me all their tabloids and I made like thousands of collages. And really, I should do like a post. I should take pictures of a bunch of them so we can post it on Instagram or something. Because I did find them all recently. And last but not least, Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera were on a tour together called Justified and Stripped, which is funny. <laughs> so, um, that's the goss. Audrey, what do you remember about this movie being introduced into our lives? And when was the last time that you saw it?
1: I watched this movie probably at least two or three times a year every year. So I remember everything about it. I can quote the entire thing. Um, (laughs) But, and you're, you probably watch it less than I do, but it's it's equally as memorized. I, we know distinctly the first time we saw this movie because it was sort of an unusual situation. And I feel like... Mm -hmm. That, that sort of thing sticks in your mind. Our uncle, Zach, who is our mom's brother, brought a DVD of School of Rock to our grandma's house. And <laughs> it was us and our two cousins, Aaron and Julia. And he, I remember being in our grandparents' basement and he was like, I have this movie, School of Rock, and I know, I don't know if he knew we would like it or if he just thought we would or what, but he put it on and it's like the rest is history. (laughs) Literally the the
0: rest is history.
1: The fact that um, our Uncle Zach showed it to us is also very precious, I think, because Uncle Zach, he is some, he has some similarities
0: to like a Jack Black in life. It has definitely shaped us, and he, he, we owe him a great lot for having introduced this movie to us as early yes. as he did, especially. But specific things about the movie uh, that haunt me from when I was a little kid is that the guy who replaces Dewey in No Vacancy, which Spider. is which is his. Yeah, Spider. He wears these like low-rise leather <laughs> pants where you can like see like the like v. the pelvic V. <laughs> and I was always so uncomfortable. Like I hated that. Like I don't know what that was in my child brain, but I was just like, I don't. It I don't was just see like this. uncharted territory.
1: It was just it felt very forbidden. I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I should look at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It felt like this was another case of a movie because it was our first PG thirteen movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, level up. (laughs) I know, it was such a big thing and what a good opportunity. Like, this was the perfect movie to be the first PG-13 movie. I also thought that Miss Mullins was, like, so weird when I was a kid because, like, I wasn't used to seeing, like, lead women who were not love interest or villains. Like, she's kind of a villain, but not Not really. Not actually, no. Like, just seeing her as a character type, I was like... That was new to me. And I remember thinking that.
1: I love it now. I really yeah. love it now. Um, and I, I never felt weird about her. I don't know why. But yeah, I just I like how she exists in the story in a very singular way and not, you know, Sarah Silverman becomes a bit of a trope in this movie. Yeah. But whatever, we'll get into that if we want to. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think her character is cool.
0: It's my head in the smasher. Yeah. She's it's like,
1: so and I became the one thing that I never wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> and and she mouths the word bitch. Yeah, she's like, a big, and I, a big one. And I was like, oh, that's the worst word I've ever heard in my life.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... She deserves her flowers, as we like to say. Introducing the word bitch to me. (laughs) (laughs) As Audrey learned all of her swear words. We, uh, I think we're going to take our break here. So if you haven't seen School of Rock in a while, um, you will only be hurting yourself if you don't go watch it again right now. So go do that and we will be here when you come back with Rivka to talk about their experience being in this movie and interactions with Jack Black who doesn't want to hear that so we will be right back We hope that you watched School of Rock with Childlike Abandon and enjoyed every moment of it, as we do every time we watch it. So we have so much to get to with Rivka, but I just had a few... I I made like a top five takeaways of things from this movie that every time I watch it, I note to myself. And Audrey has one that she wants to throw in. So we're just going to rip through these really fast so we can talk to Rivka. The first one is my one criticism, which is... They have these singers in this in the band that are awesome. And then their vocal part is like, ooh, la, 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 ooh, la, la. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't they have a real part? And to me, I teach at a school of rock, like a literal school of rock school in Cleveland. And I'm a vocal director at that school. And so I'm like, let me bust in there and give them a three-part ooh, la, la. Like, come on. That just uh, gets me every time. Jack Black is is just the ultimate trustworthy man like it's him with a bunch of kids and you know that you're not supposed to trust him with the kids but you do trust him you do yeah you absolutely
1: do and that's really what makes it work I mean if it was anybody else it would be a bigger stretch in your mind
0: (laughs) yes yes it makes so much sense that it's him and kids I mean, in this movie. That
1: was the seed of the entire idea, was Mike White was saying to Jack Black, wouldn't it be funny if we did a movie where it's you and a bunch of kids? So that was the very, very beginning seed of the whole thing. So that, that explains why it's so easy to yes. accept,
0: you know, as an audience member. To me, like, the way that classic rock is like the gospel that Dewey Finn preaches with... Uh, so much fervor just it honestly does remind me so much of my job like that like there are dudes that are actually like that that I work with yeah. and god bless them because <laughs> it really is a subculture you know not one that we dip into very often on this show but it does exist. No. the ending musical number is the peak of cinema yeah <laughs> It's so good. It's so exciting. It's so cute. The song is so good. Jack Black is such a good singer. The kids are so cute. Um, It's just great. It's a top 10 moment in movies for me. Yeah, definitely. There's not really much else that can be added on to the discourse surrounding the I like to eat. Is that such a crime scene between him and Tamika? But... Just what a beautiful moment. That's really it. It 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 bears repeating that it's worth looking at that scene over and over again because it just is so cute and so positive. Yeah. And then the last thing I have is that this movie really does speak to like the really just satisfying and cute experience of teaching kids how to play rock music. Like again, this is my one of my jobs and like Teaching a bunch of nine-year-olds a harmony or, like, watching, like, a 12-year-old get really good at playing a guitar solo, like, that's just sweet. Like, that's just a great thing to be involved in, and I really love doing it. And so seeing it in this movie just warms my heart.
1: Yeah, that, that's what I was—that was, was going to be my one point, too. I could—obviously, we could talk for ages, but we got to get to the interview. Um yeah. Is that this movie— and you wonder how much it actually has influenced us like truly in our choices mm-hmm. for the art we make or like the ways that we creatively contribute to the world and stuff mm-hmm. but like it's funny that we covered bring it on last week too because literally if you combined school of rock and bring it on in a way like that is the documentary <laughs> like yeah that's, that's true um the if if you don't know Hannah and I produced a feature-length documentary about High School Show Choir, which is done now. But anyway, it just... You'll get to um, see it soon. Yes. Um, It aligns with our passions in the most extreme way. And it's like, which came first? It's like, was I meant to do this? Was I, like, meant to make these kinds of things? Or, like, they really Mm -hmm. are... uh, We just love... We love an ensemble of young, yeah, which we yeah. also talk about in the interview, but we love an ensemble of young people who, against all odds, come together, <laughs> come together to create an unforgettable show.
0: <laughs> That's what it's we love. True. We and, love Dazzle Dazzle. Regardless
1: of if it's actually a forgettable show, it will be unforgettable to that ragtag
0: group of kids. Yes. And that's what matters. That's the best part. Yes. Okay. So we'll leave it at that for now because we have to get to this interview with Rivka, which is really amazing. So um, here it is. We are having a massive moment here on Sleepover Cinema today. Um, We are being honored with the presence of the one and only Rivka Reyes, artist, writer, musician, podcast host, and of course, Katie the bass player from School of Rock. Rivka, thank you so much for being here with us.
2: Thank you so much
0: for having me, sisters. (laughs) We are so excited and like still so surprised that you're here. So we're just like super thrilled this is happening.
2: Um, Your whole aesthetic for your podcast, like the social media was enough for me to just be like, yes, I want to hang out with these two. So like absolute honor (laughs) to be on here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh my God. Thank you. Audrey, do you feel uh, validated? (laughs) So, obviously, we are here today to talk about School of Rock, but also, we're super curious to hear about your life and just, like, your journey as a human to where you are today. So, before we talk about School of Rock things, I just wanted to ask you to just, like, introduce yourself to our listeners and talk about, like, what you're up to, what your life is like, what you're working on now, just, like, a little taste of your life, okay. You a little taste,
2: a little sampling. <laughs> um, I'm Riff Um I almost just said my height <laughs> 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 because I <laughs> yesterday morning had to do two different self tape auditions and. At the end of the audition, we're supposed to say our name and our life. Uh So I almost just defaulted to Riv Reyes, five foot nine. I live in Los Angeles and I am willing to shave. Um, No, I I, I am living in Los Angeles right now. Um, My pronouns are they, them. I also occasionally use other pronouns um, interchangeably just for funsies. just So I'm feeling spicy. Um, (laughs) And... I uh, yeah, like like you said, I'm an artist, a writer, podcast host. I'm currently hosting a podcast called "Where Are We Now," where I get to connect with other former child actors and child performers and folks who came into the spotlight young about life and just catch up with them and see what they're up to now. Um, and we get spiritual, we get witchy sometimes. Um, sometimes we you know just just chat about. Mundane shit, and that's honestly what I love the most. Is I don't give a fuck about like the project that that got them famous because Mm -hmm. I have such a connection to that whole thing of being like known for one thing my whole life. But I really like talking to them about like what they like, what's in their garden, like (laughs) what's in their fridge, you know. Right. Um, And and it's been so so beautiful. I've got some really iconic guests, um, that have already been on and ones that we recorded and ones that are coming on in the future. So that's been really cool. And what else? I, I have a bunch of like fun works in progress that I'm writing. Um, I'm working on a pilot, Um, I've written a couple of screenplays, short films, and they're all kind of just like kicking it in my Google drive, waiting (laughs) to, um, Mm -hmm. get their wings, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I have many more follow-up things
0: about the podcast because I listened to the episode with Brian and it, it made my brain (gasps) sparkle. So did it, so did I. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we will have questions on that for sure. Um, But Audrey, do you want to lead into the School of Rock specific things so we can then get past the School of Rock specific things? (laughs) Yes. Before anything else, we should just clarify
1: the degree to which Hannah and I love Jack Black is
0: it's. It's immeasurable. Um, He is the best. This is what we want to know because we don't we don't like love men on this show in general, and Jack (laughs) Black is just like the man for us, and we're wondering if he is actually that good in life as a person.
2: He is so fucking like pure. He's just a wholesome person, and I was so blessed to have school of rock be the first thing that i worked on um because everyone not just jack but like mike white rick linklater joan cusack sarah silverman every, and, th- and then all the kids i mean don't get me started mm-hmm. and i'm like obsessed with all of us like we're, we're just <laughs> so cute um <laughs> everyone was super great to work with. I was, I was really, really fortunate to have that be my first experience of like the film industry and a little bit spoiled and it kind of, gave me a bit of a complex because I was like, Oh, this must be what it's like. And it's absolutely mm-hmm. not like that all the time. <laughs> some people, some people are like, not as, you know, chill or fun or cool as like the team that we had on school of rock. But Jack black specifically is one of the nicest people I've ever had the honor of knowing. And, you know, even now, um we still have like a friendship with him, you know, his, his door is, proverbially always open. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there, there was a, um, a summer where I was working on a musical in Chicago. Um, I was doing American idiot. Um, and tenacious D was in town for riot fest that weekend of our opening. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I was just like, I emailed Jack. I was just like, Hey, I'll be at riot fest. Like I'm, I'm so stoked. He, like, hooked it up with, like, some dope tickets for us, like, to be on stage <laughs> during the show, which was really good. <laughs> nice. um, so I went with Kevin Clark, who played Freddie, and his friend. Mm-hmm. And then um, a couple of my friends from American Idiot came with me as my, like, kind of crew. Um, and then my friend Mike, who's, like, Jack's number one fan. And, you know, we all <laughs> kind of were his, like, little posse. And we were just, like, on stage watching Tenacious D. Uh, like, it, it was it was magical, but he ended up coming to see American Idiot. And yes. like, it, it was just, it was wild. I was like, I set aside a ticket for you. No pressure. It's at this theater in Wicker Park. Um, and he was just like, Wicker Park, that's where we shot High Fidelity. I was like, it's actually right around the corner from that record store. And he was just like, oh, hell yeah. Like, well, I'll do, I'll do my best. And like, I set aside a ticket for him. And I was just like, He's not going to come. And then mm-hmm. on the night of the show, one of my castmates was like, Rivka, I think your dad's here, as a jo- like, as a joke. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, my dad wasn't supposed to be here. And mm-hmm. she pointed at him, and I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, he came. He, just-. he was, like, sitting, and I was, like, watching the audience watch him watch me um, uh-huh. in the show, and it was just so surreal. Um, but every once in a while, because American Idiot, our, our, at least our rendering of it was a very interactive, like, We were this close to the audience, like, right up in their faces, like, you know, singing Green Day at them. And, like, there were moments (laughs) where I was able to, like, you know, because of where my choreography was in the show, like, I was, like, face to face with them, And I was just, like, we're rocking out together again. It was, like, so, it was so, it it brought me back. Like, it really did. Um, Mm -hmm. It was beautiful because there was a part in in School of Rock, like, at the end um, when we were starting to play our encore song. (laughs) And... There's a part, and you'll see it in the, the movie, like, where Jack turns to me, and we have this, like, pure moment of, like, rocking <laughs> out and, like, making eye contact, and, like, we're, like, you know, getting up in each other's face. Pic- and, and I had that moment again when I was doing American Idiot and, like, dancing and singing at Jack. <laughs> it was just so uh-huh. surreal and like i was like wow this, this is so cool that he like came out to support us like uh, like Aww. you know mid level chicago theater company uh <laughs> it, it, was, it was phenomenal it was just a very cool experience
0: wow hell yeah that's the answer we um, want
2: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> great that that's that's all that is everything i wanted to hear and more um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could talk about. I uh, we all know Han and I will bring up Jack Black on the show for like no reason. <laughs> like it'll it, like we'll be talking about some other movie and then just talking. He's about underrated. Jack Black. I feel. I feel um, like he
2: he's like got so much. Mm-hmm. Ugh, he's his body of work is just so spectacular. Like Richard
1: Linklater is like one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite, and. I'm curious if there's anything that you learned from watching him work on set that was particularly impactful or that you carried over into other work that you've done. And now that I know that you have like screenplays and like things that you would like to um, make real, like if there was, because I've heard a lot about the way that he works on set um, with like the Before the Sunset trilogy and like Bernie and, you know, just other, other things. So I'm curious.
2: I honestly, across the board, again, you know, we were blessed to have the team we did because everyone was so cool. Like, and it taught me that you can be nice to everyone on set, like, and not everyone fucking is. Not everyone is nice. And Rick and all of the, you know, team was so nice to each other. Rick was nice to the PAs, like, you know, and that's, that's, Amazing because you never know who that PA is going to grow up to be. Bill Hader was a PA for most of his, you know, early twenties, and now he's Bill Hader. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> right. And you got to just be nice to the intern and the PA and the crafty people because you never know whose boss that person is going to be one day. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I really picked I up on yeah. on set is that like you know, and I've been a highly intuitive uh, person my whole life, and I just remember you know being there and even though like when the camera was on, I was like low key a little bit nervous. And I think that is definitely reflected in my performance um, that I was pretty shy. Um, <laughs> the second the cameras came on, I was very like, you know, just like, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Cause mm-hmm. I had like my, my mom, like her voice in my head, you know, um, and my like, you know, guitar teacher and everyone who was like rooting for me back in Chicago. Um, and there was like mm-hmm. a lot at stake, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And but then, like, the, the it was just such a low-pressure, like, low-stakes environment that mm-hmm. I was just like, really? Like, it can be easy. It can be relaxed. It's not always just, like, high, like, anxiety-level, you know, stuff to be on a film set. Some film sets are. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. I have had experience <laughs> on film sets that were very, like, high stakes, even though it's like we're playing pretend and we're wearing costumes, like, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that's really the energy
1: that his movies give off. Yeah. Like all of his movies have that that feeling of just naturalism and what's going on is actually happening. And it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a toxic set (laughs) at all from watching the movie. So Yeah, I've had my fair share of bad PA experiences, I'm so
2: I'm always curious about that kind I'm of sorry. thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I've, yeah. I've kind of I've, I've not had much experience as a PA, um, but, you know, I've had experience as a location scout uh, for film before and it's it's sometimes really, really interesting to, like, work with some of the people. I'm like, this is a commercial for, like, Arby's. Like, chill the fuck out, <laughs> dude. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah. The aspect of being a kid on set, and especially for this movie, um, there's so many jokes where <laughs> you, they would go right over your head as a kid, and they went right over my head when I watched it for the first time, which was... Probably what, like 2004? Yeah, Yeah, like 2004. So I'm curious, like, you being on set and hearing all the dialogue and everything, and then, you know, viewing the movie as you get older, if you do, I don't know if you do, like, do layers of it kind of settle
2: in as time has gone on? Yeah, I think it's really cool. I've been, I've been, especially we just, we were talking about before we started recording that, like, School of Rock is randomly viral today on Twitter, and like, we're, you know, being talked about which feels good um and it makes me really happy that like it has stood the test of time uh like mm-hmm. not like many movies from early 2000s like this one is like kind of timeless and like right. there's not much wrong with it like problematic or like you know sexist or anything like that yeah um there is like a bit of a shrill woman trope which i hate but like you know yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah i i, I think that what really it's more that people will point things out to me and I'll be like I never realized that like somebody uh pointed out that like the cello is nothing like a bass aside from (laughs) the fact that it has four strings and it's big (laughs) right like and low sounding um Mm -hmm. and so somebody my friend Liz like sent me this screenshot that she took of somebody's Facebook post and was like the fact that Katie like knew how to just like play the bass, even though the bass and the cello are not even remotely similar in tuning is pretty cool. Like she must be a really, really talented musician. And I of course saw that and I had to do like a TikTok about it because I was just like, that's so true. Like that that the fact that, like, Dewey just, like, hands Katie this bass and she, like, kind of knows what to do with it, like, that that is a, yeah. I think that's, like, yeah. a reflection not only of the character, and also it's a reflection of the trust that, like, the team had for me, um, mm-hmm. and also it's a reflection of, like, my talent and my, like, you know, musical chops, because I was trained classically in guitar And I'm Mm -hmm. giving myself a little permission to toot my own horn here. Like I came into this (laughs) audition, never having auditioned for anything before in my entire life. And, you know, playing a couple of songs on my guitar and then, you know, doing one callback and then being handed this role. And they were like, oh, by the way, you're going to be playing bass. It's it's like kind of similar to a guitar, but we'll have some coaches on set for you. Um, And on the first day of set, like being there and being handed a bass guitar and me, Rivka, like intuitively knowing what to do with it. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm kind of gassing myself up here, but I'm like, I'm really <laughs> more talented and like good at music than I think I am or than I thought I was when mm-hmm. I was that young. Um, but yeah, like mm-hmm. things like that. And then there are some jokes, like, I don't know, like the, the, um, the stuff that was like lost on me as a kid was explained to to me by, like, my mom or by other kids on set, like, Mm -hmm. because some of the other kids on set were, like, a little more, like, um, a little less, like, sheltered, like, than I was, because, I mean, I did grow up in a pretty liberal, like, family in a liberal town, like, I I grew up in Chicago in, like, the predominantly, like, gay and queer neighborhood, Um, so I knew, like, some stuff, but some of the jokes, I was just, like, why, what is that, like, and then Veronica, uh, who played one of the two groupies, um, Eleni, she was, like, she was like, it means this, it's sex, it's about sex. And I was just like, oh, okay, okay, cool. Um, yeah, she was kind of the one who would like, <laughs> she, she kind of knew everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was kind of the friend, the you know, the archetype of the friend who kind of like knows everything a little yeah. too young and knows a little too yeah. much. <laughs> Um, but yes, yes. yes. I was, I was always like, what does that mean? She would be like, it's this. Oh, that's, that's a drug. Uh, (laughs) Crack is a drug. (laughs) Oh yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: (laughs) What was the situation where you all viewed it together for the first time?
2: The first time we all watched it together was, I think one of the early previews of it. Like it was like in, it was definitely in Los Angeles and it was at the Cinerama movie theater in Hollywood and we um I remember we saw Sully from Godsmack like uh in the theater I think he was like seeing a different movie yeah. um but we were just like it was just us watching it and we were like this is so cool mm-hmm. like this is just so cool yeah. and and you know we just like went dur- during the in the middle of a day like while we were um we were like practicing for um some of our like TV Promo like Jay Leno talk show gigs because they would right. have us come on. They'd have Jack come on and do an interview, and then they would bring us out and we would do the song from the movie. Oh, that's cool. Um, on the show, yeah. which was so cool, we did that a bunch and it was so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at one point they took us to go see it and it it was magical. And then we got to see it over and over and over again because we had the premiere and then we had Toronto Film Festival and then there was the screenings in the other countries and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, my experience of it was a little different because like I I have severe anxiety and Mm -hmm. ever since I was a little kid, I had like really like negative uh, (laughs) spiraling thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would be watching it and like just looking at myself and being like, why are you doing that with your face? Like, and I was very highly critical of myself. Um, and also like, you know, sitting next to my mom watching me and then like, yeah, I I got highly critical of myself and it, it got really weird. I I was like self-conscious about everything. Every time I would watch it, I would find something new to be self-conscious about, like, whether that was, like, something I did with my face or, like, my teeth or my belly or being the tallest girl mm-hmm. or, like, you know, being, you know, the quiet one or, like, having some of my, like, you know, lines cut um, or having my big mm-hmm. solo cut or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to get that, like, inner saboteur really badly. And, of course, that was, like, reflected by the kids who were, like, mean to me at school. Um, but now I'm sure if I gave it a watch, I would... See nothing, but you know it's like a home movie. You know, it's like a family reunion right. video. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, and and my memories attached to the process of filming are mostly positive. Uh, and and my memories uh, about like the press junkets and. And all of that were really fun because I was being pulled out of school to like be famous, <laughs> and, like, right, be yeah. and, like be interviewed and stuff and meet the Olsen twins. So right. it's just like, it, yeah, I, I, it, it's complex. But yeah, I really I, I, I should give it another watch. My friend was like, do you want to watch it together sometime? I was just like, let me think on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That actually feeds into my my next question pretty well, which is like, so School of Rock, I know at least for Audrey and I is like. Such like a source of like renewable, potent joy as an audience member. Like, it's such a positive movie. Like, we've watched it hundreds of times. We had it in our minivan when we were kids. Like, it's a big part of our like identity. And like, we like Audrey went to school for film. I went to school for playwriting. Like, it all feeds into something, you know. And I feel like this movie is so inspiring to so many people, and it's gotta be such a particular and strange experience for this thing that brought so much joy to so many people to be so complicated for you, Rivka, like the entire experience of everything around it. And so today I read your medium essay, Tales of an Obsolete Child Actor. And there's two side note things, which is there were two details that uh, made <laughs> me scream, which was, first of all, yeah. seeing the original <laughs> Broadway cast of Aida, I was like, yes.
2: That was yes, because Adam <laughs> Pascal, Adam yeah. Pascal, who played Theo in School of Rock, was playing the like romantic lead yes. in Aida And he, like, got us tickets. He's so fine. I love him. Yeah, like. Uh, He's so beautiful. That
0: uh, just amused me so much. And then the second thing was the part when you were talking about, like, if an audition went well, you would get Panera. And if it went great, you would get Panera and a Frappuccino. And Audrey and I were like, (laughs) we used to get Panera as a reward for going to church all the time. So we were like, we have that in common. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Parenting, man. It's it's (laughs) wild to me, the ways that parents bribe their kids. Yeah. Like, it's so funny. And and so, I think it's so, um, it's just interesting. I'm not a parent at the moment, but... I I, I I don't know I do have a plant and uh, it's the easiest you know it's easy it just needs water and sunlight yeah. and, no know, frappuccinos I'll, I'll sing to it no frappuccinos no Panera no therapy uh, no. right yeah yeah, yeah. So I, bring That's those, so, funny. Yeah, so I bring those things
0: up because um, in that article, kind of like a theme that you circle around a lot is like up until semi-recently, and I'm sure you're still like working through it now to a certain extent, um, you had this like fear of having peaked at like 10, which, first of all, understandable. Second of all, you're a Leo and I'm a Leo, so doubly bad imagining <laughs> such a thing as a Leo. Um <laughs> And just, like, really my question is about all of it at the end of the day, this seems like a huge jump, but, so, you know, how School of Rock is, like, relentlessly rebooted and reformatted and repackaged into all these new things. How, like, how do you feel about knowing that there are, like, all these child actors continuing to get sucked into, like, the machine of School of Rock?
2: Well, I honestly think it's great. I think that School of Rock is such a beautiful <laughs> thing. It's... it's. Mm-hmm. You know, I get a lot of messages from people who picked up an instrument after watching School of Rock Mm -hmm. because they saw us doing it and they thought that looks really fun and I want to do that too. I get a lot of messages from parents who are like, hey, just so you know, like my daughter loves you and Mm -hmm. started playing guitar because she saw you with the bass in your hand and said, I want to do that. And that makes my heart just like so full. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that, you know, when we went to, for example, when we went to go see the opening of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's School of Rock on Broadway um, Mm -hmm. and seeing my little doppelganger, um, Evie who played Katie in the original cast, I was just like, It's so cool that you guys get to have the experience that we did in some Mm -hmm. way, playing these characters, telling this story. It's a story about misfits, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and misfits to me is that thing of like you missed fitting in and we, the cast, were all misfits, you know, and Dewey, the character is a misfit and, you know, Ms. Mullins is a misfit in her own way. The parents all like really talk shit about her. The teachers all talk shit about her. And she's just like, I don't, I don't under now I'm, like, getting deep with this and, like, uh, existential. But, like, that thing of, like, coming together as a band, as an Mm -hmm. ensemble, you know, it it was so magic to get to see these kids play our characters. But you could also see the relationships underneath the characters between the actors Mm -hmm. and know Mm -hmm. that they just, like, love each other so much. And that is so beautiful. Like, it's just so wholesome and so pure and i love any like film that has like a an ensemble of kids yeah um
0: my Me favorite too. movie when i was a kid was
2: uh, the sound of music and i was listening to one of my favorite podcasts which is that's mine as well. yes uh las culturistas <laughs> they had an episode with heidi yeah. gardner who's on snl with bowen and yes. heidi was talking about how school of rock is her favorite movie And it was funny because they gave me a shout out because they (laughs) we I did a a live version of their podcast. (laughs) Uh, Oh, nice! So cool. Um, But yeah, uh, Bowen was talking about how like he 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 was just like you know, Sound of Music and School of Rock are basically the same movie, and I was just like, that makes so much sense. She's kicked out of the Abbey for you know Um. not fitting in, and then she finds these kids and turns them into a band and. I mean, she finds love, but like, you know, it's just like, and they're they're coming together, you know, to to fight this this per, this um this system that is against mm-hmm. them, right? They're literally, you know, the right. Bond Trap family is also sticking it to the man by escaping the Nazis and stuff like that, and you know, not to make it about Nazis, but like, you know, what whatever that is in School of Rock, that's like, you know literally, it's just so, uh, it's such a brilliant, um, theory, um, (laughs) that it follows that format. But yeah, anything with, with a large ensemble of kids, I like really love like cheaper by the dozen, like any of the Disney shows, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because Degrassi, oh my God, don't get me started. Like, and hearing, (laughs) you know, hearing kind of back about Degrassi, like the way that their, you know, friendships were like the relationships that those kids had on set, it, makes me so happy because I, like I said, like was kind of like a hermit when I was a kid because I didn't have that many friends in school. And, you know, my only friends were really my sisters and mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, my, my guitar teacher. And having this like built-in unit of like an ensemble, a band, you know, a, a little cast of characters, like, you know, we were really a family. Um, a very, a very cute and and fun and dysfunctional <laughs> and loving family.
0: Yes, the fact that this illusion between School of Rock and The Sound of Music was just made, like, that's another movie that we've seen, like, hundreds of times. So that really... Yeah. That hits. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that hit. <laughs> so, circling back to Where Are We Now? Um, I know you already shared a little bit about what the show is, um, but when I listened to it, one thing that really stood out to me as just genius was the uh, Who's Your Matilda segment. Can you just talk a little bit about that segment
2: yeah so who is your matilda is a segment that i do on where are we now where i ask all my guests who the first person or character or actor or you know musician or athlete whoever they saw for the first time and said oh i see myself in that person Mm -hmm. um for me it was matilda because I grew up in, like, a dysfunctional family. I always had, like, big, you know, um, codependent crushes on my teachers. And, like, (laughs) I was really afraid of but also willing to stand up to authority when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And also, I really wanted special psychic powers, which inevitably it ended up like manifesting in a big way like um and I saw that like I saw her and was like wow like I really really relate and connect to this character I was obsessed with Matilda I'm still obsessed with Matilda and I love Mara Wilson the actress who played her and Mm -hmm. the way that she speaks about you know um uh the child acting and the what is now being called the toddler to train wreck pipeline. Um, yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. so, yeah, I, I always ask my guests, who is your Matilda? And I have more than one Matilda. Matilda is just the biggest one for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, when I first saw like Avril Lavigne, I was just like, wow, like, and yeah, yeah. And like when I first saw um, Haley Williams from Paramore um, was another one. Miranda from... Lizzie McGuire was another one. Um, and now like my Matildas are are more like gender specific where I'm like, wow, like I really see myself in you. Um, like for Elliot Page, for example, was another one before um, mm-hmm. he came out. Like when I saw Juno, I was just like, I really, really like that person. Like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like we have a lot in common. And I feel <laughs> like we might like, you know just have some kind of thread that like is tethering us to each other in some way yeah and now we're both trans it's like <laughs> it's, just, it's wild it's, yeah yeah yeah
0: I really love that segment, and I loved hearing Brian's answer when you interviewed him. I thought that that was so wholesome. Um, And, I mean, that's something that we talk about (laughs) on Sleepover all the time is just, like, the importance of representation, even if it is such, like, a tiny little thing that you don't realize, like, made a huge impact on you until way later. Mm -hmm. So, I was trying to think. Who are your
2: Matildas? I want to know who yours are. I
0: was trying to think, and... Well, okay, you said Avril and Haley, because I was the Evanescence to Avril Levine to Haley Williams type. Pipeline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That was me. Um, I feel like those were my biggest ones when I was young. And then well, like, I <laughs> I have this like horrible thing where <laughs> I like love people who inevitably become really problematic. Um okay not not in like the worst not Not, what you're thinking I'm sure but like I'm talking about like the like the Lana Del Rey's and like the Lena Dunham's like those
2: oh my god both of them I I love them both I love them both so much okay I love them both so much. Yeah. Like, I I, truly
0: (laughs) like when Lena, when Lena Dunham like gets ripped apart, like I know that she fucks up kind of a lot, but I still feel like there's a little bit of me in there. That's like getting shot on every time. And I'm like, I'm just going to look away and pretend like, (laughs) it's but yeah, I can earnestly
2: say that the both of them, I, I know Lana as a friend and like Lena, I've, I've, you know, run into a few times and and what I can honestly say about both of them and my understanding of both of them. And I think I have a similar thing is that they have pure hearts, Mm -hmm. big hearts, nothing but good intentions. They just suffer Mm -hmm. from chronic foot and mouth syndrome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love them both dearly, like work wise. Mm -hmm. And Lana personally, like, is one of the kind of another one where I'm like, you are one of the kindest people I've ever met. And like, it's just that the media, like, sometimes, and yes, of course, it's like all a product of like their whiteness and their like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, like cis hetness. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just they have learning to do. We all do though. Yeah, I totally. mean, I'm not fucking perfect. I'm not an expert on anything. Like I <laughs> am definitely, you know, a privileged person in that I'm like white passing and whatever the fuck that means and like, you know, that that I just grew up comfortable um and and that I have this like platform that I do and mm-hmm. you know, it's just like a matter of using it for good and and um Being really mindful of what you say uh, when you're in the public eye. Yeah.
0: You know, it's good to hear (laughs) those things. Because I have, (laughs) you know, there's been a lot of heart and soul invested in both of their bodies of work uh, over time in my life, for sure. Um, Yeah. Audrey, who are your Matildas? Do you know? Uh, Can you think of one for me, Hannah? Uh, Do you know? I feel like any. I have, like, uh... Maybe like Mary Poppins.
2: That's one of mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge Julie Andrews stan, Like giant. Love her. So yeah. Um definitely was like magnet magnetically attracted to anything that she was a part Me too. of. Thank you. She's um, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Another one and of
2: mine is Miss Hannigan that's, that's from a good Annie. One. Fuck.
1: Okay, we yeah. like have, like, the, the Kathy the, Bates
2: version. Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett, oh, for sure. Her. I love Kathy Bates. Oh, Carol Burnett. Love Kathy Bates. That's good. As um, Miss Hannigan, but Carol Burnett is the uh, supreme for me. The yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That makes we sense. We have such an extreme overlap in in loves in diehard loves and I just love that you said Miss Hannigan because I'm always like if I had to go back and be in a musical like I would be Miss Hannigan like that's all I could do Like
2: that would I be can't there. wait I cannot wait until I'm in my like 40s or like like yeah like my late 40s early 50s so I can play all of my dream roles like, right, like Miss right. Hannigan Ursula like all yeah, of the yeah. like crones like the hags like I want to play yeah. all of the hags yeah
0: <laughs> you know I like grew up always getting like I did like theater as a kid like middle school high school and I have a really low singing voice and I would always get cast in like the crone parts but I wasn't like down with it yet and now I would be down with it but it was like too much of an insult when I was a kid you know (laughs) like your ego (laughs) is so tied up in that As we said before,
1: we both listened to your podcast episode with Brian Faldudo, aka Billy, aka Fancy Pants, (laughs) where you touched on the idea of redefining success. How has your idea of success evolved over the years?
2: My idea of success today is that I put sunscreen on before going outside, (laughs) right? My idea of success is that I've drank a lot of water, that I got a full, you know, eight hours of sleep that I have been honest with you two the entire time we've on, been on this show, mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. was able to say no to something that didn't feel aligned with my, um, my values and beliefs. Right Before, my idea of success was, I have to book something bigger than School of Rock in order to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. My idea of success also wavers from time to time, too, because, like, I'm a person with a phone, like, right. and I right. see so much, you know, I and also being in the, you know, industry um, of, like, performing and everything and having a lot of friends that are, you know, successful and, you know, rich and, you know, uh, rich and, and, you know but, but I think the key has been like not equating rich to success, not mm-hmm. equating verified mm, yes. blue check mark to success. Um, because success comes from capitalism, of course, and, and that comes from white supremacy. And like, you know, for me, I, I, I think that, like I said, putting on sunscreen, praying, meditating in the morning, like those are mm-hmm. my ideas of success now. And anytime I start to slide back into the like, looking at the likes, you know, looking at the algorithm, trying to scrape to get my
0: Mm -hmm. face
2: on the top of everyone's for you page and Instagram feed and whatever. That's when I have to check back in with myself and be like, okay, but what am I grateful for? What are the, like, what are the actual successes from today? Because, you know, I, like, I talk about this pretty openly all the time. I'm an addict and I'm in recovery for like three years now. And, you know, I, I, have been almost dead several times. And, <laughs> you know, when you face that you're left with like a bit of ash on your heart from the underworld and you're just like, all right, well, it's cool that I was able to survive that. It's cool that I've gotten a taste of that. So I know that I don't need to go back to that ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at least the dark, you know, addicty stuff. Um, I don't need to go back into those old behaviors ever again. So, for me in sobriety and recovery, like every day is a success every day that I don't pick up a drink or, you know, use drugs or go back to a toxic relationship or, you know, uh, act out or act in with food, um, or money or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, it's really important to, to count the, the blessings, count the small successes in your day.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate what you said about, like, success and money being a part of capitalism, being a part of white supremacy, all of that, because I've been thinking a lot about that lately, too. Like, my current life is kind of, like, patched together with a lot of gigs, and I really like that about it, but at the same time, sometimes I'm like, should I be making more money? Should I be working harder or more or like more visibly? And um, I just appreciate what you said because I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I've been talking to Audrey about it a lot lately too. (laughs) So it's been a topic. Yeah,
1: it it feels like um, a a lot of people roughly our age like are thinking all of these things, but it's not that often actually brought out verbally, like in conversation, at least like in my workplaces or whatever uh, whatever situation. So it's nice to just be able to like speak.
2: That <laughs> yeah, well, No, because it's because when we're out. kids, our parents are like, don't talk about money. Don't ask somebody how much their house mm-hmm. costs. Like that's really, really rude to talk about money. And it's like, no, like it, why does it have to be such a secret? Why does money have to be such this like scary thing? And I talk about this on my show and I talk about this with my friends and, you know, um, in general, I, I, you know, do a lot of writing on my own, like just journaling about mm-hmm. money because I have such a s- weird relationship with it because of the way that my parents, you know, viewed it and, and you know, hid things and, you know, um, used my money that I made from School of Rock and whatever um, and then like kept it a secret from me and, and all that. Like I have to rewire my brain around First of all, everything that I learned from my parents, um, which is a beautiful and wretched thing about growing up and, you know, being in your Saturn's return, um, Mm -hmm. is you get to start reparenting yourself and you get to start like shedding layers of like what doesn't serve you anymore and like what beliefs from your family and from society that are actually lies that keep Mm -hmm. you small You know, one of my biggest Mm -hmm. lies that I used to tell myself was that I needed money to be happy, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that like money, you know, is evil. But money is a a strongly feminine energy that the patriarchy has abused and and turned into this like masculine thing when it's really not. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is just like write little letters to money, like little (sighs) shit fit letters where I'm just like Uh, I hate you and like I'm just very resentful and get all my icky thoughts about it on the page and then I burn it because like money's not gonna like take it out on me they're not gonna (laughs) like you know get me back like I don't believe in like um like a a god that like punishes or like you know a a force that's gonna get you like you know that that is the that is the understanding of like religion that i was brought up with is that like God's santa claus keeping tabs on you making sure you're being nice and if you're naughty you're gonna go to hell yeah and now yeah. my understanding of like my faith my personal brand of faith is that if it is meant to happen it'll happen and mm-hmm. if not the universe will not let it happen and if i am meant to have lana del rey-esque fame and like a verified blue check mark next to my name that'll happen and mm-hmm. you know if, if it's not it's not and that's cool and I'm cool with whatever because I'm in just like radical acceptance for whatever the fuck the universe has in store for me whether that's to win an Oscar or die tomorrow like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm ready I'm ready yeah. for it yeah
0: cool that's an incredibly healthy mindset, I would <laughs> yeah. say. You've you've shared so much that's so uh like juicy. I know I'm gonna be mentally processing after this. Where can our listeners find you on social media and support the pod and all of your other ventures? I am
2: at rivka.reyas. On Instagram and TikTok, I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus from my personal Instagram at the moment. Mm -hmm. I just actually deleted the app today off my phone and that felt so good. (laughs) I was like instructed, like I I was like in meditation. I was just like, I delete Instagram. I was just like, okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And on Twitter, I'm just Rivka Reyes with no dot. Uh, My website is rivkareyes.com. I do uh, provide tarot readings and Akashic records readings. Um, and you can book those through my website. Uh, Um, where are we now, uh, airs on Fridays. Uh, I have a Patreon where you can get early access to where are we now on Wednesdays. Um, the Instagram for where are we now is at where are we now pod (laughs) and what the heck else? Oh, uh, my movie, Bad Animal, is um, uh, coming out. Uh, and then the other movie that I'm in is Alex October. And that is also coming out. And you can just follow me on on the social meds uh, to get more <laughs> updates on that uh, once I'm back from my little Insta-cleanse. Yeah. Sweet.
0: <laughs> um Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for talking with us. Um, you're Y'all so are cool, amazing. Thank you for joining us. And I cannot wait to see your new movies and see everything that uh, comes into the universe for you. And this was amazing. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks.
1: Yes, it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again to Rivka for joining us. Um, Audrey and I were having such a good time throughout that whole interview hearing them talk about – knowing Lana, LOL, and also, like, all the interactions with Jack Black, like, hello. Like, that's amazing. It's our dream. <laughs> it's our dream. Literally, it's our dream. We we are pretty much planned for the rest of the season here. We have some really good episodes coming out, and we can say, I don't know if we want to say this, but... The last episode of this season is going to be our mom takes the stand and answers (laughs) all of the questions that we've had to her. We're going to discuss a movie that she showed us and we're going to let Jen have her flowers. Yes, we are. So get ready for that one. It's going to be really cute. And we'll see you next time, I guess. Is that too abrupt?
2: No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You can handle it. At this point, you all can handle it. Okay. Bye.
1: Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search Sleepover Cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at pictures, and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema,
0: and that's really where the party is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloia and David Moss. We'll chat again soon.
2: Bye. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience
0: have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on.